Thanks for listening to the Underdog Podcast presented by the Riley Decker Companies. Please do us a favor and help us change and improve lives by subscribing and giving us a rating on the platform of your choice. Thank you. All right. Welcome to the UDP, Coach. How are we doing? Doing great. How are you? Good, good, good. We have Coach Stan Johnson, uh, the men's basketball coach for Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles. So actually, we had Coach Cronin on, so the second uh, L.A. basketball uh, coach, and really excited, Coach, to have you on the UDP. Uh, born in Liberia, which we'll talk about, which is in West Africa, Coach Johnson played his college basketball at Southern Utah and Bemidji in Minnesota uh, State before embarking on a coaching career that would take him to such school as Cal State Northridge, Utah, Drake, Arizona State, and Marquette. So on uh, on March 20th, Coach was named the head coach at Loyal Marymount and uh, had a great uh, first season with a winning record and I know did a lot of things in the West Coast Conference, which is an incredible conference in college basketball. So nonetheless, uh, n- needless to say, Coach, glad to have you once again on the Underdog Podcast. Awesome, man. I, I appreciate being here and uh, appreciate you having me. Sure. Um, Want to start off, you know, really talk about, you know, the adversity you faced as a, as a young man. I think at the age of 10 back in Liberia, you were held at gunpoint and uh, went through a lot of adversity before coming to the United States. So can you kind of talk about, you know, your childhood and then we'll build your, you know, kind of resume and, and other things that you've overcome? Yeah, I was... Uh uh, born in Liberia, West Africa. Uh, that's where my dad is from. Uh, my mom was from Montana. She's from the States. And my dad went to engineering school at Montana Tech, where he met my mom. They moved back there. And uh, me and my siblings, two siblings, were, were born there. And at the age of 10 in 1990, uh, a civil war uh, kind of ensued and, and took over. And uh, we were actually evacuated. You know, we were very fortunate to, to get out the country. And uh, we evacuated. I think we left with three bags and, and lost everything that uh, our parents had worked, you know, tirelessly for. Uh, and yeah, there was a moment there, you know, uh, when the rebels came into our town. Uh, we lived in a town called Bung Mines, which was a mining community, a German community. Uh, and uh, they invaded that town. And I remember them gathering pretty much everybody at the school and sitting us all down and, you know, you, you're, you're at gunpoint with, uh, any wide range of ages, you know, guys that are older and kids that are 12, 13, 14, 15, carrying M16s. And obviously in that moment, you don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, only by the grace of God, were we allowed to leave that uh, position and, and go to our homes. But, uh, you were just one instance from maybe, something horrific happening, which happened all throughout that country. Yeah. And then, and then how did you stand, get out of talk about, I mean, obviously that's a, a moment I can't imagine. I have a six-year-old, um, couple years away going through that an event just can't, you know, can't, can't, can't really conceptualize what that would be like. Um, but then you move past that and then talk about, you know, what happened after that. So, I, I mean, I can't remember, weeks, months, how long it took, but the, um, you know, obviously my mom was in touch and I'm so sure many families were in touch with the, the embassies. And, uh, but the, the, the U S actually came in and, and landed a war jet 
on a mining strip uh, because they had blown up the airports and all that. And we were hours away from an airport. But uh, so they a military plane that, that carries cargo and armored vehicles actually landed into that community and on a mine, which uh, where my dad worked. Uh, you know, the, the workers had to, to create a strip for this plane to land. So the plane landed on that strip and we were bussed up there. I left, you know, we left our dad behind. He didn't come because he didn't know where his parents were. He wasn't going to leave until he could find them. That's a whole nother story. But we got on this war jet and uh, took off. And uh, I believe we went to Sierra Leone, um, you know, for what may have been a few days to a week. And then we ended up going to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where we had family and we were there for a while. Then my dad united with us and we ended up, he ended up getting a job in Utah and, and Utah became home. Yeah. I know, uh, the transition I'm sure from Liberia to Utah, I've never been to Utah, but I can imagine yeah, it's, it's a little bit different there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's exactly the same. No, I, I mean, you know, a stark contrast, Yeah, know, especially, um, in the nineties. I mean, I went from a place where, uh, it was all African-Americans and a few European people to uh, very few African-Americans at that time. I may have been the only kid at, at, in the school, maybe my brother and I, that were uh, African-Americans. So that, you know, it was uh, a little culture shock. Uh, but, you know, all those things help you become who you become. Yeah, no doubt. And, um, you know, I think you say nothing's been easy, but everything's is a blessing. I had down and it sounds like that was the way you looked at it then and now. And so then you go and use basketball, right. As a platform playing at Southern Utah, the Bemidji state. Can you kind of talk about how getting into the game? I think you were playing soccer, if I remember correctly, or another sport. And then you kind of got into basketball, um, adjusted that in Utah. And, and then you use basketball as a platform to go to school. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, in, West Africa, we played soccer and tennis. That's what I grew up playing. And soccer is the dominant sport there and uh, played some tennis. But when I, we, you, you know, we never played basketball. And when I came to the States, when I moved to Utah, like I said, I was probably the, the, the only brother in the class. So the first recess, you know, they picked me first thinking, man, this guy's got to be able to play. And I went along with it. I was so awful, man, uh, that I was the last pick every time that year. And they were so mad once they knew I was the one they had to pick last. So I just made a commitment. I'm going to learn how to play this game. I'm teach myself the game because number one, when you, you have different cultural experiences and you're new and you have to find ways to connect in the game. I saw that as a way for me to at least have some bond and something in common with those kids. And once I got good, you know, friendships developed out of that. And so that's why, again, the games meant so much to me because it, it really impacted my life and my experience. My experience probably would have been much different uh, had I not, uh, you know, learned how to play the game and, 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 and take that route. But uh, it was a way for me to connect and, and have a common ground to stand on with, you know, the kids in Salt Lake. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, I mean, the Carl Malone, John Stockton days, those were in the nineties, right. Too. So I'm sure basketball oh, in Utah was, was a big deal. Yeah, man. Carl Malone's my guy, you know, John Stockton, you know, I grew up with those teams and, you know, watched them. I was actually at uh, the, the game where Jordan hit that shot. You know, I was in the last row, man. I'll never forget, you know, he stole the ball from Carl on the baseline and, he, and you know, there's 19,000 people in the, what was then called the Delta center 
And I'm telling you right now, from where I stood, and I may have been on the last row, you could hear that ball bounce. That's that's how quiet that gym was. Because, you know, everybody knew what was getting ready to happen. Uh, but I was very fortunate and blessed to, to, to see that game. So, Mike, I, I, I developed a, a great appreciation for him as I got older. But when you're in Utah, you know, I, I pulled the jazz, but he, he, he stole a couple of championships from us. Yeah, no, uh, no doubt. When he did that, uh, like fadeaway um, crossover, fadeaways for that that game, that dagger. That was I remember. That, that's I've never. Uh, I don't think I've ever met anyone that's been at a game of that capacity. That's unbelievable experience. I'm sure that helped. You know, like you said it was a, probably a devastating uh, moment as a Jazz fan, but obviously Drew, you know, was able to see that basketball experience, and and you've had quite coach, you know, transitioning to you know, your culture and things where you're at now, but obviously there was things I know, you know, it wasn't easy to get to Lowell Marymount, right? I mean, it was a grind and you went to some places making less than $10,000 a year, you know, at places, you know, transitioning from, I think you said you rode a bus, you know, you've carried bags, you've pretty much done it all going from Cal State, Northridge, Utah, Drake, Arizona State and Marquette. So before you've gotten the opportunity to be the head man at Loyola, can you kind of talk about the grit and the grind Coming from, obviously, we're learning about coming from Liberia, all the things you had to overcome as a young African-American in, in Utah, going to play basketball in, in college, and now you're coaching, and you're trying to grit and grind your way, and you've had some success, and then you get, you know, a new AD comes in, and you get terminated, and, you know, kind of a wild ride for a while. Can you kind of talk about the grit and grind of your uh, college coaching career? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been an awesome ride. You know, um, I'm very thankful for my journey. And, uh, you know, sometimes in life, we're so consumed with the end result. You know, we're so consumed with that end goal that we forget that the, 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 the blessing and the beauty is really within the journey. And sometimes the journey is not going to be a straight line. It's not. It, it's not always successful. And. The thing my life has taught me is that you learn and you grow a lot in the valleys. And oftentimes, all of us, we want the peaks. You can't get to the peak unless you have, you've mastered the valley and you spend time in the valley. And my career has, has been just that. You know, again, I, I, I told you I come from humble beginnings. Um, I'm not somebody who was an elite basketball player. I'm not somebody who went to a prestigious college and no knock on where I went. I love my time at Southern Utah. Um, but I didn't play for a Hall of Fame coach. I didn't get that kind of start. You know, I had to start at Bemidji State where I finished my career and I got a Jeff Gio, who's been a, 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 a real blessing in my life, like the name you'll never hear. But absolutely one of the best coaches I've been around. He, he gave me my first break. You know, he gave me a job as a full-time assistant coach. I think I made 10 to $12,000. I slept in his basement, you know, and uh, I had to be the ops guy that I had to drive the bus. We had to clean the dorms. We, you had to do everything right. Um, you had to get your guys ready for practice. You had to recruit. Uh, from there, I went to Southwest Baptist, which we made a little more money. I think I was making then $25,000 a year. You know, I thought that was like a million bucks. Uh, we had more scholarships, but same thing. Just, you know, me as the assistant and 
him as the head coach. And you had to learn every aspect of the business because there was no one else there. And, and sometimes in those settings, you don't understand what you're going through. You don't understand how beneficial it can be because you're always thinking about, man, I want to be a division one head coach and I want to be a division one assistant. You're always looking at the next thing. And my philosophy was always, man, I'm going to make the big time where I'm at. And you couldn't tell me when I was at Bemidji or Southwest Baptist, when I put those polos on, that wasn't, that felt like I was at Kentucky or Duke, man. And I, I tried to make the big time where I was at and tried to really take advantage of the opportunity I had in terms of all that I had exposure to do, knowing that hopefully someday it would lend itself to be uh, something that um, I could really grow and learn from. It would benefit me when I got in this position. You know, from there, I went to Cal State Northridge. I was there for a year. Again, Cal State Northridge at that time uh, worked for a guy by the name of Bobby Braswell, who at that time was a longer tenured African-American head coach in college basketball. Very, very organized guy. Did a heck of a job at Northridge. But I remember going in there, we had a sign like six or seven, I think seven to eight guys, maybe even more in the, in, in the spring. You know, that, and that was when, you know, you didn't have transfers that were eligible. And uh, we did that, won the league, you know, the, that very year. Uh, from there, I went to Utah and uh, worked for Jim Boylan, who has played a huge role in my life. Coach Boylan has been the head coach of the Bulls and taught me everything about defense. We, we did some great things at Utah. Uh, but a few years later, you go from being the highest seed in the history of the Mountain West to being fired. You know, from there, I went to Drake. You know, you, you would consider that maybe a step down. I don't know. Uh, went there and did some great things there, but worked for a guy by the name of Mark Phelps, who's been a, a close friend of mine. And Mark had been there maybe four years before I got there. Um, and we thought we had done some good things. AD didn't think that. And two years into being there, let us go. And I, I got on with Herb at Arizona State. And same thing, Herb put two of the better years that he had had there. And new AD came in, wanted a new coach. And that was that, right? And uh, went to Marquette and enjoyed my time in Marquette, working for Steve Wojciechowski. I was there with him for five years. And then I got this job here. Um, but all those experiences and, and the, the, the peaks and the valleys, the wins, the losses have helped shape my beliefs. And, and now I'm at a place where they've had great history in the past, small history, but really good. And we're trying to, we're trying to get this program back there. And again, I, I think my time here is much like my experiences in life. It, it's not going to be easy. I didn't take this job because I thought it was going to be easy. There's going to be some bumps in the road. You know, we got off to a great start my first year. You know, we finished third in the league. Hadn't been done in, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 years. And thought we had a great team coming back, a really good team. And we were marred by injuries and, and uh, you know, some other self-inflicted things. And um, we didn't have the year we're supposed to. You know, we ended up back in the Valley. But it's been my experience that uh, when those things happen, it's an opportunity to get better. And, uh, uh, you know, so I'm living, I'm living my life experience right now, but all those experiences have, have helped shape what I believe has been my career and what I believe is going to lend to a very successful, uh, time here at LMU. Yeah. And you say joys in the process things that's so critical. And I learned that through, you know, listening to your content and 
because uh, right now at our our place we're in a valley, so we're in the, we're both in the valley together, brother. So um, you know we're kind of hitting a lull in, in our year from a company perspective, and and we kind of talked about the same thing. You know, focus on the things you can control, the the discipline to what we know. Um, you know, and and kind of make sure we stick to our core values. And three of your core values, which actually kind of similar to ours, but it's selfless and it's right behind you too, which I like. Selfless connection and relentless. Um, you know, can you kind of in in the valley, which you're saying you're kind of right now. So off to a hot start year one, year two, you hit a valley. When you're in the valley, how critical are those three core values, and and how do you drive every single day to, like you said, not get too high with at the highs and too low in the valley? Well, I think again, I mean, I'm not afraid to lose, right? And that that's a life thing. I'm I'm not afraid to lose. I think when you're afraid to lose. Uh, you really limit yourself. I don't like losing. Uh, I, I hate it with a passion, but I'm not afraid to. I'm not afraid to put ourselves out there. I'm not afraid to go for it. And we're always going to go for it. And I think when things don't go well, uh, it, there's so many lessons in that. And it, it, it kind of recenters you. And there's a, there's a refocus. There's okay. What are things that are, we, what are the things that we're doing really well as a program, as an organization, myself, what are things that I have not done well? And usually it goes right back to those values. Okay. Ours are selfless. It's connected. It's relentless. And I didn't feel like our team was connected like we were the year before. I didn't think we were as relentless as we were the year before. And we weren't as selfless as we were in, in, in a lot of different aspects. So it's okay. Now, how do we put accountability to that? How do we make sure those things don't happen? Because every time you try to move up and every time you try to increase the expectation or you, uh, you're going you're gonna to come up, come up against uh, harder resistance. And, and when you come up against those things, the things that you believe in better be really, really strong. And you better live that. And so for me, it's, it's, it's this year, it's, you know what? We got taught a lot of lessons. And, and if we can learn from that, if we can grow from that, then we have a chance to take off. And I think sometimes when people fail or they have a setback, they think that's, Oh my gosh, we're doomed. No, I believe a setback is a setup for a comeback. If uh, you're true to your values and, and you go back and you really have some introspection. And I've, I've had a lot of time to look at myself because everything starts with me. And there's a lot of things that I could have done better. And if you handle that better, then your growth becomes better. There's, there's growth. So as you talk about your, your organization, I, I would say that to you, to me, you're saying you're in that valley. I'm saying there's great growth coming. You, you're not always going to be growing. And sometimes you got to step back to go forward. And, and that's just how it is. And if you look at anybody's career, you look at any, any great company, nothing has just been a straight shot. But the people who are not afraid to lose and who are willing to learn from that and grow and maybe try new things. And I know I've always done it this way, but maybe we need to tweak that. Those people, those companies, those teams, man, you got a chance to have some real success. It's so funny to me. Like, we all love these crazy stories. Man, look at this player. You know, he won the Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, Kurt Warner, one day, you know, at one point he was 
he was uh, bagging groceries, right? We love the Super Bowl story. We love that story when it's complete, but we don't love it when we're in it going through it, right? Because we don't know what's coming, you know? So I always say, like, sometimes you don't realize how close you are uh, before you quit. You just got to keep going and you got to keep getting better. And, and I'm, I'm more excited now than ever. And again, it's, it's not going to be easy, man. I don't want it to be easy. And, and the competition's good too. Uh, but I, I think the Valley really, really, if you handle it correctly and you understand, understand the lessons, you have a chance to take off. And, and that's exciting to me. Yeah. Yeah. I also, I started in back of my mind, I'm listening to you. I'm like, I'm hoping I invested in crypto. I was like, that's way down. Let's hope that linear line goes up on the, on the crypto investment. I was just laughing. I'm thinking of the ups and downs, ride the, uh, ride the wave there. But, um, nonetheless, I think also what you just had said, coach resonates with our, our previous guest, Scotty Miller with the Tampa Bay Bucks. You know, he had won a Super Bowl and then he missed a ton of games last year. So he was talking last episode of like, Hey man, I was on the high of the high, you know, caught this huge one of the biggest passes of Tampa Bay Bucks history at in Green Bay to go to the Super Bowl win a Super Bowl and next thing you know I'm out all year come back last four games I'm not even in the rotation right and so his his standpoint same similar to you is like you know that year one having a, a really good year the best year in like 15 years and the next year you know hitting adversity and, and it's just trying to keep that consistency so I think that's something I'm seeing you know resonating of of really trying to stick to the core values selfless, you know, being connected and relentless. Something I also uh, coach on the weekly culture meeting with the team. I thought that was really interesting. Like coffee with coach, um, you know, really talking about things such as having a success hotline where they have a pre-recorded message or what's happening in the world. Can you kind of go through, you know, that, that element of your program? And I thought that was a unique thing about LMU. Right. Well, you know, I'm big on like anybody. I, I think, you know, I, I'm big on trying to to build the, the the best kind of culture you can. And it's so funny, like culture can be a very touchy subject. You know, sometimes when you talk about culture, um, you know, it's, it's people, you know, especially when you knew people act like there was no culture before or, you know, every place has some culture. I don't know anybody else's culture but mine, the one I want to create. And I don't, I'm not here to say one is necessarily better than the other. It, it's just what, what fits your personality? What do you think allows you to win? There's some places they don't, they don't spend any amount of time on that. And guess what? They still win. Right. But for me, you know, trying to build something that is hopefully sustainable and, and trying to impact lives in a way that this is much greater than basketball there has to be some level of consistency and intent in what you're doing. And I've, I've been at, you know, I don't know, eight, nine different schools and not only in athletics, but even sometimes using universities as an example, you'll see all these words. This is what we believe in. And they're plastered all over the place. But if I ask you, can the employees verbatim give you what the university stands for, what your company stands for, most of the time, the answer is going to be no, right? And if the answer is no, then you're creating a kind of culture in that as well. You know, culture happens, whether it's intentional or not. I try to make it kind of intentional. And what I mean by that is once a week, 
every Wednesday is our off day. We get together for an hour and we spend time on our culture. And our culture is not always just about us. The, the culture I want to establish here is, for example, in those meetings, we'll spend 10 minutes on what's happening in the world. So if, if we were in session right now, maybe the 10 minutes would be on the mass shooting that just happened in Texas and on gun violence. And, um, you know, what are you guys' stance on that to get our guys thinking and, 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 and talking that way? Because one of the things I want for our kids is to ever always be able to speak up and to speak uh, intelligently on different subjects, not just basketball. I don't want people to see our kids as just basketball players. And as they go through the university and, and they're having these conversations in classes, I want them to have confidence to speak up and, and to have an opinion. And, and this is an, op, an opportunity for us to help our guys that way and to get them confident and thinking in, 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 in terms of other things worldwide, right? Uh, we'll spend the first five minutes on uh, our academic feedback. And, and what that is, is I believe in positive peer pressure. So every week I'm going to give, hey, you know, hey, uh, Damian Douglas got an A on his uh, biology test. Um, Kelly Pepe, he got a B plus on his his math tests. Uh, you know, Cam's killing it in in philosophy. So all of a sudden now, you know, there's some pride there. And our guys are like, you know what? Shoot, I, I've been in this meeting over two months. I haven't had my name called. I need to. You know, and and what that's lent itself to, I mean, I just got our grades. We, we had over 3.1 for the semester. That's the highest GPA in the history of the program. Congratulations. It's those little acts, right? It's those little things, hopefully, that's creating that positive peer pressure through intent. You know, in those meetings, um, you know, we'll, you know, I I, I have this thing called, uh, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, message that you can call. So they call a, a, a number. It's called success hotline. So we will call success hotline. There'll be a message every day on success hotline. You know, it could be about adversity or, you know, it's always something really good. And, you know, I'll ask the guys, Hey, what'd you guys get out of success hotline over the last week? And, and, you know, conversations stem from that, you know, and then we'll, we'll kind of finish off with, you know, what's again, what's, what's happening uh, in terms of our culture. And give them a chance to speak up. Where are areas we're lacking? What are the things we need to address? You know, maybe there's some issues going on within our team that we need to put out on the table. And then we'll have a, you know, like a plan. You know, hey, this week we're going to talk. We're going to spend 30 minutes on, um, you know, a mistake or a mistake. You know, in, in Hollywood they call it a mistake when you make a mess when you mess up. And trying to get them, hey guys, we want mistakes. Right. If you make a mistake, it's a mistake. Hey, we'll get to do it again. That's what practice is for. I want you to be confident, you know, so that's kind of how we build it. You know, so we're constantly having those. Now, one thing I am going to change this year, I'm going to give them the first maybe 15 minutes before our staff even walks in there. Because sometimes what I found is if I'm in there, maybe they won't talk to each other the way they need to because they're worried about me or the staff. I'm going to give them the first 15 minutes to clear the air. If there's some things going on within the team that needs to be addressed, maybe they're 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 more confident doing it that way, and they're more open with each other because they don't want to feel like a tattletale or whatever. So that that'll be the new thing we implement this year is 
first 15 minutes, you guys got it. Clear out whatever you need to get. When I come in, boom, we'll get started. So that, that's been our culture meetings uh, on Wednesdays. Yeah, I love it. I call them knowledge nuggets, and there is plenty uh, in this episode already. I think making culture intentional happens no matter what. Like you said, just looking it, and I love the success hotline. Might have to get that number from uh, Ricky or from the director of ops and say, "Hey, let me let me uh, check out what this is all about. I might institute that in, inside of our culture." That's I, I like that. I, I really do. That's yeah. a really good takeaway. Um, and also, I think. I was a long time ago in a football locker room, but I think that is important to give the players an opportunity to have a designated time to, to converse without anyone around. So I think that's a good, you know, just kind of remember back to my playing days. Like I said, it's been a minute, but I think it is important to have um, a player led locker room at times where they can handle their own issues and, and handle things. And that's usually strongest. And it sounds like that's part of the connection uh, that you're talking about that maybe wasn't as strong in year two as it was in year one. And that's what I love about college basketball. I went to the St. Peter's second round game. Goodness, who are they playing? Murray State. And just watching there, you can just tell, in my opinion, I'm not a basketball es- expert, but when they, I think a lot of coaches call it get touches, when they're picking people off the ground, they're high-fiving on the bench, and you just could see St. Peter's, man, they just – they got it. Like they played well. They were they were disciplined, uh, well coached, and you could just tell they loved each other. Truthfully, like you could just watch in an arena. I took my son there. And I'm like, these guys are special. I never knew who St. Peter's was, but then it didn't. It made sense to me as I watched them in person. I'm like, man, they might win next round. Sure enough, they beat Purdue, and it's just like they just kept going and going. So, yeah, I mean that's that's what I like in this day and age is that if you create a really strong culture it can overcome the talent deficiency as what the experts would label. So I think that's ever so important um, there. How do you, I was curious too, like how do you evaluate yourself or players? Like what are maybe the, the core principles start with you? Like how do you evaluate yourself as a coach? Well, I think again, it, it goes back to uh, I, my whole thing is, am I living what I'm preaching? Am I doing what I expect of our guys? You know, so, you know, we go back to selfless, connected, relentless. Am I selfless? Am am, am I connected? You know, we talk about relationships before championships. How are my relationships with each guy on the team? You know, am I relentless in my pursuit of getting this program turned around? And there's so many things that 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 encompasses, you know, it's, you know, how how am I from an X and O standpoint uh, putting us in the best position to be successful? Am I really studying that to the level I need to be uh, from a culture standpoint? Am I developing that right way? Am I holding people accountable the right way? Am I holding myself and our staff accountable? So everything for me starts with me. And again, like the year we had, that's on me. That's not on anybody else. That's on me. That's leadership. You know, it's, it's easy to point the fingers and sure. Everybody has some responsibility in that, but the, the, the bottom line is, no one is here unless I allowed them to be here. Uh, no one did the things they did unless I allowed them to do that. And I think if you can be honest with yourself, then you have a chance. And that's that's raw honesty. And I think that's good leadership. Is It's being able to say, hey, you know what? The buck stops with me. And I can blame Johnny for not performing. Well, guess what? I'm the, I brought Johnny here or, or whoever that may be. You know, this play is not working. Well, why is it working? Is it the player or is it 
doesn't fit your system. So I think always uh, going through all your stuff with a fine tooth comb and, and being accountable and, and, and making sure the things you're doing make sense, uh, I think is important. So that, that's how I do it. it it's, you know, every, every day, uh, excuse me, every season at the end, you know, I do a DOC, like I'm, that's what I'm in the middle of doing that. It's defense, offensive culture. So three things defensively we must get better at that we were very bad at last year and how we're going to do that. Three things offensively we need to prove at and how we're going to do that. Three things culture-wise, three things in the weight room, three things academically, three things in the training room, right? So that's my blueprint for the season moving forward. So every week, now I must look at that. Are we doing those things? Are we on track? Okay, then I do the same thing for each player. Here's the development plan for each guy, the DOC for them. Three things for their offense, three things defensively, three things from a culture standpoint, academically, weight room. Okay, here's the plan. So here's the individual plan to get them better defensively, offensively, culture-wise, weight room, academics. So there's the areas we have to address, and then what's the plan? What's that? What does that look like? And that's studying that and then being accountable to that. So that's our blueprint for each player and our whole program as we move forward. So that's kind of how I do it. And then it's the matter of holding yourself and making sure you're staking through to, I mean, staying true to that. And as you get good at something, you know, it may be, you know, transition defense. Okay. And you can never be great at transition defense or master it, but all right, we're good at that. Maybe we can add something, but I think it's, you can't get great at everything. You can't accomplish everything. It's finding what are the most important things now for us. I call it, you know, we say, when, what's important now, what's important now. So there's three things defensively, offensively, from a culture standpoint, fundraising standpoint. These are three things we can improve on. And here's the plan to do that. And then I'm accountable for that. The players are accountable for that. Now I got to hold them to that. And I've got to hold myself and our staff to, to those things. And we, when we evaluate our season next year at the end, we have to be able to look at that and go, you know what? Boom, improved, 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 improved. And if I'm being completely raw and honest, and one of the reasons I'm upset with myself is some of the things I have on there now, I'm comparing to our DOC at the end of last season, and it's the same thing. Well, guess what, man? That's on me, right? That's that's how I do it. Yeah, no, it's it's humbling. Very self-aware, uh, taking ownership, and love the win, what's important now, and the three DOC, I mean, great, uh, whether business, life, or athletics, I think those are all tangible things looking at those top three of those, you know, significant categories or KPIs in business and really focusing on top three things and then make sure it's not the same three things as the year before. So I think that's, those are really, really good things there. And, um, man, I, I, most importantly, coach, I know you're making, um, you know, really productive and, uh, sustainable young men that are going to enter in when the ball goes flat, which it does for all of us, unfortunately. Um, except playing uh, maybe old man rec ball for me at the YMCA. <laughs> so still trying to ball, not like I used to, um, but it does come flat. And it, and it sounds like to me, all these core values and, and the different things you institute are making these young men uh, ready for, for life after, after basketball. So that's fantastic. And really appreciate you sharing everything you did today. And um, is there any way uh, for anyone that's listening on our platform, any, any great ways to follow you or the program on any uh, social handles? We'd love to share that. 
Yeah, yeah. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I think mine is at LMU Coach uh, Johnson. Um, so I'm on there, and I believe it's the same handle for uh, uh, Instagram. You know, so that's the best way to follow us and and, and our program. Yeah, and, and must great uh, Twitter follower. So I got on Twitter like two years ago. I was late to the to the program, but the uh, man, I love I love uh, following you on Twitter. And after a, a common a person of ours, uh, Ryan Hawk, you were on the the Learning Leader podcast, and it made a big impact. Uh, and you were a big target for us. So um, we were really thankful for you coming on this platform and so many different things. Can't wait for this one to release. And uh, I know the best is ahead for you and in your program, Coach. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. It means a lot. All right. Thank you so much. Great call. Thanks for listening to The Underdog Podcast. Please subscribe and rate our podcast on the Apple and Google Podcast apps. Leave a five-star rating and send our Twitter handle a screenshot of your rating at Underdog Pod with your shirt size for a chance to win a free t-shirt. See you next week on the UDP.